So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. Oh, what a worship we've had this morning with uh, uh, two men committing their lives to you and, and declaring their faith in you through baptism, uh, through the wonderful songs that we have sung and just pouring out our hearts to you. And Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we're here today because of your love for us. We were enemies, rebellious enemies, going our own way. And even while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, Lord Jesus, you came and died for us and offered us a new life in you. So we thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us and all that you will do for us in the life to come. Lord, I pray this morning that our hearts would be open to your word. And Lord, give us a heart of obedience. Now these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Psalm 83. Psalm 83, continuing our series in the summer in the Psalms. Psalm 83. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I invite you to take one of the Pew Bibles there in front of you, and it's on page 461 in the Pew Bible, 461. And if you don't have a Bible, then uh, we want to invite you to take that Pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word, so you please take that uh, home with you and, and read it, and may it bless your life. So Psalm 83, 461 in the Pew Bibles. You know, one of the most difficult commands, I think, in Scripture is the command to pray for your enemies. Imagine if, imagine if your child was, say, a missionary over in the Middle East and got caught up in the, the ISIS uh, attack that took place over there. Imagine if your child was captured by ISIS and beheaded by Jihad John. Most likely, your first inclination would not be to pray for Jihad John, would it? But yet, Jesus says, pray for your enemies. As Christians, we are to pray for our enemies. In Matthew Chapter 5, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor. Now, that's from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that's not in the Old Testament. That was an addition that someone along the way added to it. That was a common little proverb of, even of Jesus' day. But this is what they had been told and taught that what the people had heard you had heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven 
For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So Jesus tells us as Christians, as followers of him, that we must pray for our enemies. Now how are we to pray for our enemies? What does that look like? Well, as we've been going through the Psalms, we we see in the book of Psalms that it really does teach us. It's a great book to go through to learn how to pray. It teaches us in so many ways how to pray. We've already seen uh, what repentance looks like. So as we go to the Lord in repentance, we can look at that Psalm and know how to repent Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, how to pray, your kingdom come, God's kingdom come. What does that look like? And now today, we look at this psalm, Psalm 83, and and we look to see how we are to pray for our enemies. So today's sermon in a sentence is the title of the sermon, Pray for Your Enemies. Pray for Your Enemies. And we're going to see here today in this psalm three considerations when praying for your enemies. Three considerations when praying for your enemies. And I just want to encourage you as we go through this, think about this. I want to encourage you to pray for your enemies. Take the command of the Lord seriously and pray for your enemies. Now, Psalm 83 is a, a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was one of the, the men that David actually appointed as uh, he was a Levite, and he was appointed as one of the, the songwriters and the singers in the, the temple when, when David, he set up all of that order of worship and all. In his day, he appointed Asaph as one of the chief singers. Now, don't know if this Asaph is that Asaph or not, it came, became kind of a, a common name among the singers, uh, kind of like John today, right? We, we, everybody's name's John, just about. I mean, you, you don't have to look hard to find a John in our culture. Well, Asaph was common among the singers of Israel. So this may be the original Asaph. It may be an Asaph that came later who just kind of took in that position later on. We don't really know. It's hard to tell the context, the absolute context of this psalm. But we can see that it was a time of unrest in Israel. There's enemies that are are coming down on Israel and they're uh, oppressing Israel. And this psalm is a response to that. So here's their enemies coming to oppress them. And Asaph writes this psalm, this song, as a prayer to God to deliver Israel from her enemies. It's what's called an an imprecatory psalm, an imprecatory psalm. An imprecatory psalm is is one that calls for curses or judgment upon God's enemies. Now, this is difficult for us to understand. When we come to these psalms, and there's about 18 or so in in the the book of Psalms, but when we come to these, we kind of raise an eyebrow to them because we know Jesus says, pray for your enemies, right? But when we come to these imprecatory psalms, I mean, it's kind of like praying curses down upon their heads. And and so we kind of get these mixed messages, or we feel like we're getting these mixed messages when we read these imprecatory psalms. I mean, I I confess, I did uh, along the way, and it took me a while to really understand these psalms. Uh, 
But as we look at this psalm and we see these, this call for curses upon the enemies of Israel, we're going to dig into it and we're going to see the motive behind these, this call for curses. curses. And, and that's key. Why is the psalmist calling for a curse upon these enemies? And so the motive is, is key, and we're going to see that, and we're going to, we, we need to model our prayers after that. We need that same motive in our own prayers as we pray for our enemies. So we can see here that this teaches us how to pray for our enemies. So if you found your place there, Psalm 83, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. A song, a psalm of Asaph. O God, do not keep silent. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be uh, remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they have made a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Asher also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zilp. Zalmunna, who said, Let us take possession of, for ourselves of the pastures of God. Oh, my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So we see here three considerations when praying for our enemies. First of all, the first consideration here is, first of all, you need to properly define your enemy. Properly define your enemy. Uh, that's what takes place in the very first part of this psalm. Now we need to understand uh, an enemy here is not a, a casual opponent, if you will. Right? 
It's not someone that you have a disagreement with or maybe your personalities just don't blend well. I mean, I've had those people in my life that we, our personality just kind of clashed a bit. It's not like we, we had any animosity towards one another. We, we just, our, our personalities clash a bit. Uh, it, it's not a, a Christian, a fellow Christian, uh, someone who we may have different ideas about things, but, but uh, we're on the same team, right? We're, we're fellow Christians in the faith, and we're, we're striving and working for God's glory and his kingdom. So we need to be careful that we don't uh, kind of make this broad general, generalization about who our enemies are and count everyone we have a disagreement with as our enemy because that's not the case. When we look at this psalm, uh, this psalmist, he clearly defines who the enemy is. First of all, this is an enemy who is an enemy of God. He is an enemy of God. Notice the first two verses there. O God, do not keep silent. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your, enemy make an, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. You see, these are, are men and women who hate God. They hate everything about God. They are rebellious. They are sinners. Quite frankly, they were like you and me. At once we were enemies of God, were we not? Before his grace came to save us. But they are enemies of God who can't stand to have God rule and reign over, him, over them. They want to uh, throw overthrow the kingdom of God these are enemies of God second these are enemies of God's people this is an enemy of God's people look at verses 3 and 4 they lay craftily crafty plans against your people they consult together against your treasured ones they they say come let us wipe them out as a nation let the name of Israel be remembered no more. These are true enemies of God's people. They, want to, uh, they don't just have a, a general dislike for God's people. They hate God's people. They want to destroy God's people. They would like to rid the world of God's people. I mean, these are, are people who are after God's chosen people. And so these are those enemies. And he gives some examples there in 5 through 12, just to name some here. Uh, for they conspire with one accord against you. They make a covenant. They covenant together the tents, tents of Edom and, Ish, the Ish, and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, uh, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek. Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre, Asher also, all of these people, these are, are people who surrounded Israel. And they wanted nothing more than to come in and destroy the Israelites. They wanted to take possession of the land of Israel and destroy the Jews, wipe them off of the face of the earth. Well, they're still surrounded by those same enemies today, are they not? Some of these same bloodlines go back to all the way to these people who are named in this text. All of those living around Israel and their desire, so many of them, they desire to wipe Israel off the map. So these are true enemies. 
This is not a casual opponent. This is not just someone that we have a disagreement with. These are people who want to wipe God's people off of the face of the earth. And so these are enemies of God and enemies of God's people. And what does the Lord say? Pray for your enemies. It doesn't say go fight them. Although governments go and fight other governments. Yes, we we understand that and we support that. Because God has given our government the sword to be wielded in, in battle. But as God's children, as people, we don't desire to kill them. We don't return their their, uh, animosity and and want to wipe them off of the face of the earth. I'll show you, right? Instead, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we are called to pray for the lost co-worker who hates us and and seeks to, to... see our demise that person who stabbed you in the back and and wants to see you uh, fired you're to pray for them you're to pray for them the angry atheist who who curses and ridicules God and curses and ridicules you because of your faith you're not to curse and ridicule back you're to pray for them the radical Muslim, the ISIS leader who wants nothing more than to see you dead. Jesus says, pray for them. Pray for them. Do not curse, but pray for them. So we are to define our enemies. These are enemies of God, enemies of God's people, radical enemies of God, and radical enemies of God's people. And Jesus says, pray for your enemies. So when praying for your enemies, we must first properly define our enemy. Second, we see that we are to pray for, you are to pray for your enemy's salvation. You are to pray for your enemy's salvation. As you look over, skip over a little bit here to to verse 16. Verse 16, notice there's two parts to this this verse. First, there's an action, right? He's praying for God to take action. But then he gives the purpose for that action. So, So notice what he says in verse 16. These enemies feel their faces with shame fill their faces with shame bring them to shame i thought you said we weren't supposed to curse them we're not but to call on god to shame them you see he's calling on our enemies to take this action lord lord bring them to shame pray for their shame but why why their shame the second part of the verse that they may seek your name O Lord that's key that's key that they may seek your name O Lord you see we might be we might be willing to say Lord bring them to shame bring them down crush them 
But what's the motive? If we're honest, a lot of times it's like bring them to shame, crush them so that I can be free from their oppression. Crush them so, so that they can get what they deserve. But what's the psalmist's purpose here? He says bring them to shame. Crush them so that they may call upon your salvation. So that they may call upon your name, O Lord. You see, when our enemies and God's enemies, they curse against us, when they desire all kinds of evil against us, as this psalmist shows us, we're to pray for their shame, but not in some kind of vindictive way. We're to pray for their shame so that they may come to know the Lord. You know, chemo is a harsh is harsh upon a body, but chemo is worth it for the person who is suffering from cancer in order that that cancer might be destroyed. And so the psalmist here shows us, pray for your enemy's shame. Pray that they will be crushed so that they may come to know the Lord. Because let me tell you, dear friend, it's better that you and me and our enemy or whoever lose everything that this world has and come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior than to have everything in the world and never know Him. So we pray, not just for our enemies, but we pray for the lost. Lord, do whatever you have to do to bring them to your throne of grace. So that they may know the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. So we pray for our enemies. We pray for their salvation. We are to pray for our enemies that they may come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. No matter the cost that they may have to pay for that. We pray that they come to know Jesus. Oh yes Lord, pray we pray for ISIS, all of those leaders in ISIS. Crush them, bring them down to their knees so that they might lift their eyes to see you and know you and turn in repentance to you. We pray for our enemies so that they may know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But when we pray, when you pray for your enemies, pray uh, first you, you properly define your enemies, then you pray for their salvation. Third, pray for God's glorification. When you pray for your enemies, pray for God's glorification. Notice the last two verses there. Here again, we see an action statement. Lord, take action, do this. And then the purpose the action statement is in verse 17. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace. And now here's the purpose. That they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. That you are sovereign ruler, sovereign reign over all of the earth. 
What's the psalmist doing here? He is praying for God's justice. He is praying for God's ultimate justice. That's what the action is. Lord, bring justice to this world. Bring justice to those who are rebelling against you. Now we have to be careful here. We have to be very careful here. Again, the motive is important. We can't pray this just to, to be vindictive because vengeance is, doesn't belong to us. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. It's His and His alone. But in a sense here, what we're praying for is that the vengeance of the Lord will be carried out. That His justice will, will prevail. And that the sovereign God of the universe will bring complete justice, perfect justice to this universe. We're looking for the day that he, he comes and returns and He wipes out all rebellion. And yes, He judges those who continue in utter rebellion against Him. But here's the purpose. The purpose is that God's name will be glorified. We're praying for God's glory, for His glorification, that they may know that you alone whose name is the Lord, whose name is Yahweh, are the Most High over all the earth, that you are sovereign King. There's none like you. And you thwart all the plans of the evil one. And you destroy all corruption. We see here the same prayer of the souls of the martyrs crying out in heaven. Revelation chapter 6 verses 9 through 11 says that when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. You see, we all long for the day that God will bring justice to our world. Even today, it is right and good for us to desire to see justice rule and reign. We support our government who, who upholds the laws of the land. Prayerfully, just laws. And they hold up the laws of the land and they bring justice to those who break the laws of the land. God puts that in our hearts. That's something that should be a desire for us. It's a desire of God. God is a just and righteous God, and He wants justice to prevail. So we should desire that even in our day, that the criminal would be brought to justice. Even as we pray for their salvation, we still pray for justice to take place. And even in that, we see in our day that even when we, we see justice prevail at times, but at other times, we see justice fail, do we not? 
There's plenty of injustice that goes along in this world. There's plenty of criminals who get away with it. But I want you to know, dear friend, they won't get away for it for eternity. Because one day, Christ Jesus will return. And every rebel against God, everyone who continues in rebellion against the Lord, they will be judged for every sin that they have committed in their lives. And God will deliver justice and the punishment He has laid up for them. But praise be to God that He also provides justice for those who trust in Jesus Christ. Because God is a just God, justice must be handed out. That means every sin that we have sinned against God must be paid for. God says justice must prevail. And God made a way for justice to take place when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the innocent Lamb of God, who hung on Calvary's cross, having no sin of His own to pay for. He died on the cross for my sin and your sin. Justice was delivered on Calvary when God poured out His punishment on His own Son for my rebellion and your rebellion so that we who were enemies of God can now be called children of God. Justice must prevail. And we pray for justice to come. We pray for the day that the Lord Jesus Christ will return and give justice to all of those who continued in rebellion. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But we also pray for their salvation, that justice might prevail by them coming to know the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ, where God has already delivered justice on those who believe in Him. Oh, dear friend, we must pray that God's name be vindicated. We must pray that His people be vindicated. We must pray that justice will prevail, even as God promise, has promised us that it will prevail, that He will bring justice to His kingdom. Oh, we pray. Oh, Lord, bring justice so that in your justice your glory will shine forth, that your perfect righteousness, that your perfect justice will shine forth and we may worship at your throne of grace the just and holy God. Pray for your enemies. Pray for God's glory to shine. So we pray for our enemies. And you pray for your enemies. Pray for their salvation, that they may come to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not about, about getting uh, our name uh, cleared or whatever. It's not about bringing vengeance for our sake. But 
pray that they would come to know, know Jesus Christ. Pray that they may come to know our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, that they may know salvation in His name. And pray for God's glorification that He might be worshipped for His salvation and His justice. Oh dear friends, pray for your enemies even as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ prayed for His enemies while He was hanging on the cross. And He looked down on those who were cursing Him and spitting upon Him and saying all kinds of evil things against Him. He looked up to the heavens and He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, when he prayed there, he prayed for you and me. Because while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. We were there cursing and, sh and, and profaning his name with our own sin and our own rebellion. And Jesus prayed, forgive them. Forgive them. And we have salvation because of His loving forgiveness and grace. Pray for your enemies. Pray for them. That they may know Jesus. Some of you here today, I want you to know that Jesus prayed for you. Well, you even as you come here today, you know in your heart you're an enemy of God. You've never surrendered your life to Him. You've never given your heart over to Jesus. You still rule and reign over your own life and you say, I'll have none of it, God. I'm going to do it my way. And you live in rebellion. You are an enemy of God, but I want you to know that Jesus prayed for you just as He died for you, that you might be forgiven for your rebellion and might have new life in Him. And all that's required is that you repent from your rebellion, turn to Jesus, and trust in Him. That's it. Trust in Him. Give your life over to Him. And He will surely save you. Will you do that today? All you have to do is look, pray, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel. I know that. But I also know you died for me, and today I give my life to you. I trust in you. And he'll save you. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that today even as we hear this most difficult command to pray for our enemies, to love them and pray for them. Oh Lord, teach us to pray. May our greatest motive for praying for our enemies be that your name be glorified in them. First of all, through your salvation. 
through your saving grace. May they come to know you and worship you and honor you for who you are, the sovereign Lord of all creation. But Lord, for all of those who will not turn, then we pray that your name be glorified for your justice. For you are a just and holy God. And we worship you. We praise you. We lift your name on high for your justice, your righteousness. Oh, Lord, let, our, let us lift our hearts to praise you today. And, Lord, certainly there are some who are here today who are enemies, never surrendering their life to you. Let them know your saving grace today, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.